Welcome to episode 147 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Kelsey Gum. Kelsey and I met because she runs the A Veterans podcast, and I was a guest on episode 27, which I'll link to in the show notes. They have a mission to honor the military men and women who have served and give veterans a platform to tell their personal story of service, transition, triumph, and obstacles they've overcome. After being a guest on that podcast, she is now a guest on my podcast, and she talked about her experience of finding out how a medical diagnosis caused her career to end and being medically retired. So we talked about what that transition was like, what her experience was like in the Navy, and what she's doing today. So let's get started with this week's interview. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military Podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Women of the Military podcast would like to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp for sponsoring this week's episode. Sabio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Sabio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. And now let's get started with this week's interview. So welcome to the show, Kelsey. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I actually found your podcast a long time ago and like listened to a whole bunch of episodes. So when we finally connected, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. What drew you to the podcast when you first found it? Well, I was searching just for like podcasts that were military related or veteran related. And then it was kind of an added bonus that it was like a female podcaster and a female podcast. And so I think all of that was kind of what drew me in. Yeah, that's cool. So let's start with your military story. Why did you decide to join the military? So I joined in July of 2004. Well, I joined September of 2003 and was in delayed entry until July of 2004. I joined, well, my grandpa used to tell me like sea stories when I was younger because he was in the Navy. Soon learned that some of those sea stories were very embellished stories, but either way, so that kind of drew me to it. And then when September 11th happened, I knew that I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to kind of fight for our country. 
and I didn't want to go to college. So all those things combined led me to join the Navy. So did you join right after, I mean, you had to wait a long time, but did you start the delayed entry program where you're still in high school or did you start looking into the military after you left? So I was 17 when I signed the paperwork. So my parents had to like sign as well or whatever. So like sign their rights away. I was a senior in high school. So I waited my whole senior year and then left for boot camp a month after graduation. So you were more waiting for to graduate and not for a job or was the waiting because of both things? I think it was it was partially both things. The job that I had initially signed up for for aviation electronics took a while to get into, but I also had to graduate high school before I left for boot camp. So I think that was like the first available date I could go. So September 11th happened your like sophomore year of high school? Yeah. Yeah. I was a sophomore in world history class, actually. And a teacher came in and was like, the plane hit the World Trade Centers. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a bad day. Like I didn't, I didn't really know what it meant at the time, but scary thought process for me was my grandfather and step-grandma were flying to New York that day. So I was like, pretty nervous because I didn't know I was young enough to like not really know like what flights they were on or any of that information I just knew they were going to New York and my mom worked third shift so she was sleeping she had no idea what happened until I got home from school so it was just kind of a crazy experience and I was actually sitting next to a girl in my study hall the the following class and she was there from Palestine and she looked at me and I will never forget she looked at me and said, my parents sent me here so I didn't have to worry about things like this. And that was like a huge moment for me for like how serious the situation is and and what a big deal it was and what was about to happen. Yeah. Wow. That's like a crazy story, especially for someone who's still in high school and to have that moment happen like right away where she knew she knew mm-hmm. what was going on because she had, you know, experienced it and that her parents were trying to get her away from it. And then a terrorist attack happened within America. And I think Americans were very like unaware because we just lived in this like alternate reality of like the rest of the world didn't really exist. This was before the internet really existed and it's mm-hmm. kind of changed how interconnected we are. Yeah, definitely. I think it was one of those things where you realize like although america is is great and powerful and we're a strong nation in that moment it was kind of a reality check of but they can still get us you know so it was definitely life changing for sure yeah and were you like sort of thinking about the military or you had no intention and then september 11th happened and then you started to think about the military I was kind of thinking about it. I mean, I always thought it was cool. And uh, I always thought it would be fun to be in the military. Um, I had a really close friend of mine. He was in the Navy. So, you know, I I had heard of his adventures and thought like that was really a cool situation. And so it definitely, from that point forward, I was like, this is what I have to do. So you went to boot camp right out of high school. And what was that experience like? 
<laughs> I cried every single day of boot camp. I'm not even ashamed to say that. I was 17 when I left for boot camp. I turned 18 in boot camp. I had never really like left home except for like a week of summer camp here and there or whatever. So when I, when I went to boot camp, I cried for probably like the first 4 days all I did was cry. And then I cried like every day <laughs> after that. Not because I was sad, but like I was so overwhelmed if that makes sense. Like I I missed my family and I missed, you know, my little brother and my parents and and my brother and sister. But I was so overwhelmed with being thrown into a situation where it was like instant adult. Like you go from being like a kid, graduating high school, life is easy. And all of a sudden you're like an adult and, and there's no like smooth, easy transition. So it was, it was really a crazy experience for me, but I absolutely loved it and like thrived in that environment. I just cried a lot. So <laughs> So it was a big adjustment and you emotionally, it was really hard, but you also thrived in it. Mm -hmm. That's good to hear. For me, it was difficult because I was only like 45 minutes from home. So knowing I was so close and knowing like all these mind games that I was playing with myself. Um, but I, I really think like that was probably the best thing for me was to really experience independence in a completely different way. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're from like the Chicago area. Is that where you went to boot camp? I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, but I'm originally from the Milwaukee area. So up in Wisconsin, just over the border. I was close. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really interesting that you were like so close but so far away it's like I'm so close but I'm also like a million miles away because it doesn't really matter how close I am to home well and the worst part was like when we left MEPS you know like most people fly to wherever their boot camp is right we got into like a little bus and they just drove us straight there so when everybody else is arriving at like midnight we got there at like noon and just sat in a classroom for like 12 hours, which was incredibly terrifying because you're like, I can't fall asleep. I don't want to look at anything. I don't know what to do. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, right. am I breathing too loud? What, what is going <laughs> on? So that was kind of crazy too. Cause I knew how long the car ride was or the bus ride, whatever. So I knew we were getting closer and I was like, oh my gosh, this is all kinds of bad. <laughs> I really relate to your experience. I mean, I went to officer field training, but I was just so overwhelmed and I just, I don't, it just was really hard for me. And I remember like the closer I got, I was flying and like the closer we got there, I was like, oh no, it's like actually coming. Like, <laughs> why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That make, that really resonates. So you made it through boot camp, and then where was your first assignment? I graduated boot camp in September of 04, and that's like right at the end of hurricane season. And I was supposed to go to Pensacola, Florida for schooling, but I think, I want to say it was Hurricane Ivan, 
I could be completely wrong with the time frame on that, but so a hurricane like completely devastated the base. So they shut that base down to like repair and clean up and do all those things. So they kept us at Great Lakes and they just transferred us across the street to the school base or the training base across the street. So I stayed there for, I think like five months. And then we went down to Pensacola and then I failed out of school. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think like I had to really apply myself in school. So that was a problem because I, I didn't apply myself very much in high school. And so when I got to my tech school, I just thought like they had to pass you because you were in the military, which, you know, clearly was not a great idea. And so I failed out of school. So then I had to be transferred to a different school in Virginia. And I finally passed that school. And then when they had me pick my duty station, they said, you know, pick your coast of where you want to go. So I wrote East Coast, West Coast, and I think I put Florida, which I knew wasn't a coast, but that's what I wanted. And um, they sent me to Japan. So that was great. <laughs> I think we should stop and talk a little bit about like tech school because that's a really good point because you were like I joined the military because I didn't want to go to college and then the first thing you do after basic training is go to school it's interesting that you were like well I'll just pass because I'm in the military but I wonder why no one said do you think anyone said that you needed to pass or was it just kind of like you assumed that you just had to show up every day and that would be good enough they talked a bit about like the attrition rate and, you know, this many people fail out or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's not going to be me. Like, you got to be stupid to fail out of tech school. You know, at this point, I'm 18 and I'm unstoppable because I graduated boot camp. You know what I mean? So like right. my thought process was very, I felt very invincible. You know, I'm doing this school and it's all like electronics and math and that is not my jam at all. Like I am not a math person. I could write stories for days and do all kinds of things like that, but I am not a math person. And um, within a few weeks, I knew like this was not headed in the right path. And so, you know, they, they send you through all these like academic review boards and make you go to like tutoring and all these things. And I, I, I just didn't get it. Like it just wasn't making sense to me. And they were like, oh, this is probably not safe for you to be in this job. So let's find something new for you. <laughs> Do you think that your recruiter explained the job in a way that you understood it? Why did you end up picking a career field that relied on math if you didn't like math? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I don't think he explained it at all. Like, I think he explained the cool parts. Oh, you're going to be on the flight deck and you're going to, you know, make sure that the helicopter can fly or the jet can fly and, you know, hyped up the job. Um, but didn't tell me like, you need to know math or right. you need to be, you know, able to process like the electricity component of it. I thought it was just like, Oh, screw some screws hit some switches and you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I, 
I don't think it was explained to me at all, really. Yeah, I think that's really common because when I was enlisting into the Air Force, the recruiter was like, oh, you want to do this job because it's really cool. And he didn't ever talk about like anything else about the job. And I think sometimes when we're in the military, we forget like all the details that people don't know when they're in the military. So we feel like we're explaining it, but we're not explaining it at all. And we use words that don't make sense. And then I was just like, okay, that sounds good. And I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) So I just think that's interesting because it's like, it seems like that would be an important thing to know. Like, I don't like math. Okay, well, maybe we should find a career field that doesn't have a lot of math in it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think there needs to be more research done in like picking the jobs instead of like looking at a book and seeing like the highlights but finding out finding like that's part of the purpose of the podcast is to find out more about different career fields so that people can actually understand it and not just read the like paragraph description in the book because it's so much more than that paragraph yeah definitely I I agree with that 100% because had I known that I would never have chosen that job at all so right so they eventually cross-trained you and what career field did you switch into so then I became an operations specialist, which is essentially the person when you see in movies on the ship when they're looking at like the radar screen and they're talking about like, I see the enemy at this, whatever, that was my job. So we watched the radars and um, did that kind of stuff and looked for like submarines. And um, so it was completely different from what I was in, but it was, it was a pretty cool job. Did it require a lot of math too? Actually, a little bit. Um, I was like, I feel like there's math involved in that. (laughs) But this math was much easier. And uh, it was more about like angles and like distance and stuff. So it was an easier formula to remember. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So the math that you were doing for the other job was like super technical and a lot more complicated in this one was still using math, but a lot easier to understand. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And you said that you wanted to go to Florida, but they were like, (laughs) and we'll send you to Japan. Yeah. So apparently, and I don't know if it's still the same way now, because obviously it's been, oh my gosh, like 16 years or something crazy. If you got overseas orders, you had to have like no waivers when you came into the military for any like police issues or drug waivers or anything like that. And because it was my first enlistment, you had to be single. So no dependents. And unfortunately, my roommate in A school, when I was there for Operation Special, she got in trouble. And so they switched our orders. And they said, you know, we need you to fill these Japan orders so you're going to Japan and I was like wait (laughs) what (laughs) like that's so far away I am not ready and I was pretty terrified I was still 18 and I turned 19 like two months after I I got to Japan and it was a pretty surreal experience yeah I can't even imagine being like 19 and going to a foreign country yeah on your own (laughs) yeah yeah like it was 
I mean, it was crazy. I, I was grateful because there was a friend of mine that I knew from high school who was stationed out there. So we connected pretty shortly after I arrived. And he kind of showed me the ropes of where to go and what to do. But essentially, I was 19 years old in Japan and making 19 to 21-year-old choices in Japan. So I, I spent a lot of my time doing, you know, partying and doing things I probably shouldn't have been doing and kind of like learning how to be an adult while I was thousands of miles away from home. Yeah. So besides that, you learned a little bit about yourself and about how to be an adult. Did you go on any deployments from Japan or have any stories from that experience? In Japan, they call it the forward deployed naval forces. So instead of like um, like a six month or seven month deployment on the ship, you go out for like three months at a time and then come back for a little while and then go back out. Um, essentially because you're kind of helping keep peace among China and Taiwan and all those countries over there. So we spent a lot of time out to sea, which was really a cool experience in hindsight because I learned so much about my job, which helped with advancement and helped me kind of become a better sailor. I definitely got my sea legs. (laughs) I was pretty seasick like the first few months on the ship. But then with all that time underway, I was able to get my sea legs and, and really learn about the Navy and learn what the Navy is. So um, being forward deployed, there's not really like that, oh, I went on a deployment. You're just kind of considered always deployed out there. Right. It wasn't until I went to my second ship in California that I went on my first um, Westpac deployment. And that was probably the most personally challenging, physically challenging, and emotionally challenging deployment I've ever been on. And why was that? So I changed jobs again. Okay. (laughs) Because I just wanted the full Navy experience. Actually, I, I got out of the Navy after my first four years because I thought I knew what was best for myself. And I got out during the 2008 recession. So there were no jobs, there was nothing to do. And I realized I had made a poor choice because I got out specifically for a guy that I thought I was going to like marry and be with forever and ever. And that proved to not happen. So my first piece of wisdom to anybody listening is (laughs) do not make military decisions based on a significant other. (laughs) Yeah, that's good advice. So I rejoined, went through boot camp again, or half of boot camp again, and then became a damage controlman, which is like a firefighter, and went to a, a ship in San Diego. And on our deployment, we were one of the first ships to respond after the earthquake and tsunami hit Japan in March of 2011. I guess like the whole irony in that situation is I I had grown to love Japan and that was like my home away from home essentially because I grew up there you know and mm-hmm. so when we when we got news of the earthquake hitting and we 
made it there like overnight or whatever. When I walked outside the next morning to see the devastation and to see houses floating in the water and to see this country that I loved in complete like disarray was a gut check like I've never experienced in my life. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. And it's interesting because you had been in Japan before and I bet if you hadn't been in Japan, it wouldn't have been the same emotional connection to, it probably still would have been hard to see the devastation, but you had that emotional connection to the country and the people and then Mm -hmm. seeing. Yeah. And and there was uh, so much uncertainty when we arrived off the coast and and we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. It was just so, so much. And we were only like a few weeks into our deployment when this happened. And it was like, we weren't expecting it. We didn't know what we were going to do to respond. It was just a crazy feeling. For the next month, I think I, I averaged like an hour of sleep a night, if that you kind of sleep when you could, you know, like lunch or sleep, I would sleep instead of eat lunch because that was all we had. Cause I was um, on the flight deck team. So we're launching and recovering helicopters that are um, delivering relief aid to the Japanese. And then we had to worry about the radiation because the nuclear reactor had melted down at Fukushima, the power plant. And so my job as the chemical, biological, radiological warfare technician was to assess the amount of radiation we were being exposed to and come up with a plan to minimize our exposure and to decontaminate the ship of the exposure it was receiving. So there I was, 24 years old, with a a mountain of stress on my shoulders and really saddened by what I had seen the locals going through, as well as battling with like, how do you even like process it all? But you don't because this is your mission and your mission needs to be completed. So I don't know, it was kind of a crazy, crazy time. Yeah, I think the military does a really good job of training people to respond to the mission and not worry about their emotions. But then (laughs) The military doesn't really ever say, okay, we, the mission's done, we're back. Now let's process the whole experience that you went through. They're just like, keep pressing forward. And you're like, uh, I was able to do that, but I need to go back, you know, yeah. fix, fix whatever happened. Yeah, I think that's uh, a really great way to describe it because I it took me, gosh, I think four or five years post- that deployment to really be like, whoa, what did I go through? What did I do? What did I see? And really come to slowly come to terms. I mean, I'm, I still am going to therapy and I'm not ashamed to say that. I firmly believe in getting mental health help for everybody, but it's taken a lot of time to process through that and really allow my brain to process what I experienced. Yeah, and I I just released an interview, episode 137, with Cohen Veterans Network, and 
I got contacted by them to do the podcast episode. And then I was like, wait, what? You have free counseling for veterans and you know how to deal with PTSD and trauma from deployment. And so I'm actually in the process of getting connected through their resources um, to get counseling for my deployment that happened 11 years ago because I still have stuff that I haven't dealt with because I haven't been able to talk to anyone. And when I first talked to someone, I got home, they were like, oh, you're fine. But I'm yeah. not <laughs> 11 years <Yeah>. later. <laughs> so No, I, I feel that I, you know, everybody has different experiences with their VAs, wherever they're located. So I'm only speaking on behalf of my experience. But um, when I really realized that I was struggling and that I needed to talk to somebody. I went to my local VA and made an appointment with mental health in which I had to wait eight weeks to be seen for the first time. And when I was seen 20 minutes into my appointment, the therapist said, you don't have that severe of a case of whatever you've got going on. So we can just pick this back up in six weeks. And he sent me on my way. And thankfully, I fight for myself and advocate for my health and all these things. And so I called Wounded Warrior Project, and they were able to get me in with a counselor within three days and paid for me to have 12 sessions with that counselor. And then if I felt like I needed to extend it, they would extend it for me. But at that time, I felt pretty solid. And now they've connected me with a new counselor who's a prior Marine. She's super awesome and just kind of gives it to me straight, which is what I need. And Wounded Warrior Project has been covering that uh, counseling care. So I'm I'm grateful for that because I did not have a great experience with the VA. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate. And it really makes me frustrated because they're like, well, it's not that big a deal. And you're like, well, it's a big deal to me. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm here. So that really, that really bothers me. And it's frustrating that so many people experience that. Yeah. I think a lot more people experience it than are willing to talk about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just did my initial intake and the psychologist was like yes you don't have PTSD but you do have trauma from deployment and I was like it's so nice to like have a clinical diagnosis because the last counselor I talked to was like you're fine and I was like no I'm not and she was like no you have everything you're saying makes sense and this is why it's not PTSD because you have to have a certain thing to be qualified but it is trauma related to your deployment Mm -hmm. and we can help you and I was like oh my goodness, I just needed someone to tell me that there was something wrong with me because I I knew there was, but yeah. everyone kept telling me I was fine. So yeah, I, I feel that it's it's nice to get a diagnosis and it's nice for somebody to take you seriously. Yeah, it's been really helpful. So let's get back to <laughs> your career. I, mental health is important. So I'm really glad for our tangent, but let's go back to your career and for was that specific incident like seeing Japan the way that it was working all the stressful hours to get the mission done and then just getting through the rest of the deployment was that all 
the challenges or were there other challenges on that deployment? I mean, there were other challenges. It was, so we went from um, the Far East over to the Middle East. So then we're talking about like just a high operational tempo, just a lot going on and the heat and the stress from everything we've experienced in the first, you know, two months of deployment. And now we're five months in and, you know, it was just so much. It kind of gave me like a a whole new perspective on like what it meant to be in the military, which I feel like sounds silly, but when I was forward deployed, it's such a unique experience, but this was really I mean, I had never spent more than three months underway and now I'm, I was at like month five and I, and I was very ready to go home. I had had enough. So it was just a, a really mentally exhausting deployment and we were really undermanned in our division. So we were battling with like longer hours and it was, it was just so much like, I, I don't even know how to put it into words, but that was the toughest deployment I've ever been on. Yeah, it sounds really tough and it's a good way to explain it because I think sometimes you think of like the Navy and you're like, oh, they're out on their ship, out on the water, just chilling, Like it's a cruise right? boat? <laughs> yeah. It's not. Apparently it's not. <laughs> it is not at all. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I think that's why it's so important to talk to te- people about <clears throat> their experience because like you don't really you're like you see the ship and you see the the airplanes or the helicopters flying off but you don't really think about like all the work that goes into like each mission and all the behind the scenes and all the people and all the work they're doing you're not just yeah it's not a cruise Mm -hmm. it's a deployment yeah so you came back home from that deployment and then were there any other experiences for the rest of your career because you were in for about 10 years right yeah so from there after my deployment I finished out some time in San Diego and then I came back to Great Lakes and actually became an instructor at boot camp I came home because I was ready for my shore duty and it was time for me to spend some time at home and I had just married my first husband who was also in the military, you think I would have learned from the first go round. But uh, so I got married and he was from the area. So we, well, I got orders to Great Lakes and he got out and I instructed at boot camp, and that ended up being my final duty station. And that's where I was medically retired from. And that's kind of where my story ended, I I guess, with the military. And Do you want to talk about the medical retirement and all the details or as many details as you want to share about it? Yeah, sure. So the whole like 10 years I served in the military, I would pass out like unexplained passing out. And every time I passed out, when I get to the ER, they would tell me I was like dehydrated or exhausted or had anxiety or a a list of things that they would like acid reflux. I don't know. They would, they would tell me things and I believe them because they were doctors and doctors don't lie to you. So I just believe that that was what was wrong with me. When I was at Great Lakes, I was working out on my lunch hour 
and everything went black and I hit the ground. And when I woke up, somebody had mentioned that my body looked gray and I couldn't feel my arms and legs. And I knew something was really wrong at this point. So the ambulance came and picked me up, took me to the ER. And I told the nurse practitioner, I said, uh, something like my arms and legs felt like they fell asleep and I couldn't really feel them. They were just tingly. And she said, oh, well, we'll just put in a, a cardiology consult just to be safe. And I just kind of laughed it off because I, I didn't have any family history of heart disease or any heart issues. So I was like, whatever, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. I was a smoker back then, but that was probably my only vice. And so I, I didn't think much of it. So they told me I couldn't work out for six weeks until I had this appointment. And then after this appointment, they would reevaluate whatever. So I went to the appointment six weeks later. And because I was close to home, my mom came with me and they were doing the echo, which is like an ultrasound of your heart. And the guy doing it kept zooming in on a same part of the picture. And obviously at that time, I had no idea what I was looking at because ultrasounds look just like static TV to me. Um, and they put me in the doctor's office. They sent me to the doctor's actual office afterwards. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. So I had joked with my mom and I said, this is like in the movies where it gets really quiet. And then the doctor comes in and tells you you're dying. And we started laughing because we really thought like it was silly. The, the doctor came in and the first thing he said was, Petty Officer Gum, I don't know how to tell you this, but your career in the Navy is over. Wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I said some other things, but you know, I'll keep it edited. But basically my response <laughs> was what? <laughs> and then he told me I had a very rare heart condition called left ventricular non-compaction cardiomyopathy, which means the left side of my heart was like a sponge. So it wasn't pumping the blood to my body properly. And when I was passing out, I was going into fatal heart rhythms that could have killed me had I not hit the ground as hard as I did. Wow. Yeah. So, so that sucks. <laughs> I went through the, the medical board process, which if anybody is listening and they have never done it and they're going through it, it's kind of a daunting process, right? You have to prove that you didn't know anything of what is wrong with you prior to the military. You have to prove that you're really sick. You have to prove all these things, right? And for somebody like me who was in 10 years, I wanted to do 20 and I wanted to make it a career. So to mentally process that now everything I knew about adult life and being in the military was literally about to be over in months. And oh, by the way, I have this heart disease that is basically a death sentence from Google's perspective. It was just a lot to take in. Yeah, that would be really hard. It was definitely a, a learning experience all the way around. <laughs> you said from Google, it's a death sentence, but does there like a happier story that like there is a cure or is it something that you're still living with that you have to worry about? So I'm, I'm still living with it. And essentially the only cure for what I have is a heart transplant. 
So as of right now, I, I'm pretty healthy. And I say pretty healthy because I'm on a, a series of medication that I take daily that kind of, um, you know, messes with you just as a person in general, but it keeps my heart rate low as to prevent me from passing out or going into cardiac arrest. I also have a pacemaker defibrillator implanted in my chest. So if I were to go into a fatal rhythm, it would shock my heart out of that fatal rhythm. Thankfully, I haven't had to use it yet. So I'm grateful for that because it, it really is like in the movies when, you know, when they're like clear and, and they zap you, like that's what would happen. And I don't really want to experience that. So I'm really grateful. But yeah, I will, I will have this for the rest of my life. Hopefully I stay as healthy as I am now, but I just live each day like it's my last healthy day because you just never know. So yeah, I'll have it forever, but I, I definitely have a much more positive outlook now, you know, seven years post-diagnosis than I did when I was diagnosed. That's just crazy that the nurse practitioner was like, okay, well, let's, let's just try this because it's probably nothing. And then it ends up being this like diagnosis that like not only changes your life, but like because you got out of the military, but changes like everything about your life in the sense of you have to take medications, you had to have surgeries and you have to you kind of have to live your life in a new way because you know that you have this and you had no idea before you got diagnosed. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty overwhelming and thank God for therapy because, because <laughs> that definitely helps me process what it is. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm young. I'm, I'm only 34 and you know, heart disease, a lot of people picture it as like this old white man's disease, you know, and heart disease is the number one killer of women. So yeah. I mean, that's above all cancers combined. So it's like, it, it's pretty serious. And so I just, you know, I, I try to advocate as much as I can so that people can learn as well as it's healing to talk about your story, you know? So. Yeah. Which you just said, talk about your story. You are also a podcaster. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast and who you're podcasting for and what you guys are doing. Yeah, sure. So I'm the host of a veterans podcast and it is solely focused on the transition out of the military. So we like to interview people and we interviewed you and I think your episode's coming up shortly. We interview people about not so much the story of what, what they did while they were in service, but how they transitioned out of the military because I I don't think enough people keep it real when they talk about that process and I think a lot of people struggle with their military transition and so where I work is a nonprofit that helps veterans in crisis and we were trying to figure out a way to reach veterans during COVID when everything was shut down and we decided to start a podcast and I've met some really awesome people, which I'm sure you could agree to the same, like you're doing these interviews and you're like, man, these people's stories are great, Yeah, you know, and, and it's a cool experience, but really to get information out there about different services and different organizations, anything that'll help a veteran transition. 
I mean, we've interviewed all different backgrounds from special forces to just your average, you know, soldier, sailor, Marine. We even have a few Coast Guard people that have been on, you know, it's just been a really cool experience. Yeah, I definitely can agree with that. I mean, you get to talk to the most amazing people and hear their stories and and I always relate to the stories and I get something out of it. So I really enjoy podcasting. So, yeah. And yeah. it's therapeutic, you know, it's it, mm-hmm. nice to know you're not alone for sure. And I think sure. like, that's the biggest thing is a lot of times veterans do feel alone and they feel isolated and listening to other people talk about, you know, their transition stuff too. And they wish they would have done this differently. Well, I'm glad you feel the same way because that's how I felt. And now I know I'm not the only one who felt that way. You know, so I, I think it's really a cool experience. Yeah, that's so true. That's exactly that's how, exactly how I feel about the podcast. Yeah. So do you have anything else from your time in the military that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about before I ask my last question? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. <laughs> it might have yeah, been all did. over the place, but we covered a lot. So let's end the interview with my final question, which is what advice would you give to young women who are considering military service? I would say do it. And I would say take the time to really research what you're interested in as far as like an occupation or even type of military service. Every branch is so different. And depending on what you're looking for, depends on the branch that you should join really. And I honestly feel like you shouldn't fully rely on what your recruiter tells you. And I love recruiters. I have friends who are recruiters, but I think that everybody should find somebody who has served in the military and talk to them through your network of friends. Somebody knows somebody who served. And I know Any veteran or active duty is willing to sit down and answer questions of somebody who wants to join and they will give you real, honest, you know, unedited answers. And I think that's so important because had I, you know, done some research on the jobs that I eventually worked my way through, I probably would have had a smoother start had I known some of the things I knew later on. I think that's really good advice. And I think the recruiters are great, but they ultimately are working for the military and you really need to advocate for yourself and find out as much as you can and talking to another veteran or service member is great. And, and then the podcast is a great resource too. Yeah. And I think too, you know, if if somebody's listening and, and they're thinking like, well, I don't know who to reach out to or whatever, you can look up like military podcasts. And I guarantee if you reach out to some of these podcasters through their social media, they will definitely answer your questions. I mean, I love when people reach out and ask me about things or, you know, say, hey, can I be on your show? Like, I'm more than willing to answer questions of of somebody who wants to join the military. Yeah. And I have a girl's guide to the military on my website. So I'll link to it in the show notes. If you're interested in joining the military and you have questions, that guide can help get you on the right step to start asking the right questions that's awesome so thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for sharing your story thank you for having me it was great
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support. Music